0: How do you look after your mental health? Do you go for a run, see your friends, or journal how you're feeling? Have you ever thought about engaging with color, temperature, or even light to help you support your mental mood? In this episode, I speak to neuroscientists and Forbes recognized innovator, Ari Peralta. Exploring sensory wellness, what it means and how it branches further than the five senses we typically describe.
1: You know, I've had these incredible moments in my career that I'm so proud of, but it's not those moments that shaped who I am. It was the struggles, it was the challenges, it was the difficulties. My goal and my mission was always to help save the world, right? And what I've learned in the last 10 years is I needed to save myself.
0: Ari shares how his own personal trauma a few years ago helped transform and pivot his career into retraining as a neuroscientist, as well as curating three companies to engage and understand sensory wellness, which has worked with organizations such as NASA and the United Nations. In this conversation, Ari takes us on a journey to help us connect with our senses in a way that you might not have thought about or heard about before. Ari, welcome to Live Well, Be Well. Welcome to my home.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) I am so happy to firstly see you in person because the last time we saw each other was, correct me if I'm wrong, 2020, just as COVID was about to happen. That might be our collective event.
1: I think so. uh, During Fashion Week, yeah, right before COVID um, took over the world. (laughs) But now we're back.
0: Now we're back, and you've got long hair.
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) COVID hair.
0: Okay, uh, it looks great. And you've also had a really interesting last two years, which I cannot wait to talk to you more about. So, when I last saw you in 2020, tell me where you were at that time.
1: I was at the height of my career. You know, I had uh, been listed as one of the top entrepreneurs in London. We had this incredible neural research company activating different studies around the senses and how we can support mental health. Unfortunately, I was going through a crisis of my own. I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. And I kept it to myself in the beginning uh, until I figured out, you know, what was the best uh, course of action and treatment. Yeah. So last time I saw you, I was actually heading out and leaving to start about eight months of treatment.
0: Oh my gosh. I actually had no idea that that's where you were at that moment in your life and definitely wouldn't have grasped that from your energy on that day. So a question feels like it's kind of the perfect moment to ask you. A question I ask all my guests is what is the biggest thing that you've changed your mind on in the last 10 years? And I feel like your answer might be related to... Well, you know,
1: with anything with wellness and well-being, we're always trying to be quite scriptive. Mm. And we're trying to create panaceas for people. And then obviously we want to help heal people. My goal and my mission was always to help save the world, right? And what I've learned in the last 10 years is I needed to save myself. Every single day, I still do. Mm. And when you empower yourself to be the best version you can be, Then you learn a different story, and it's the story of how do I help empower others? And that's when the pendulum of change really evolves when we go beyond our ego, beyond our our self narrative, and connect to something greater than ourselves.
0: So, what have you learned?
1: So, for me, I've learned that community is everything, and that validation is an illusion. And, you know, I've had these incredible moments in my career that I'm so proud of. But it's not those moments that shaped who I am. It was the struggles. It was the challenges. It was the difficulties. And that's something that we universally feel as humans.
0: Mm, Massively. And I think, you know, what you mentioned and referenced something there really interesting, which was ego. And I think we can all be defined quite heavily by our egos. And that moment within your life when you were diagnosed with testicular cancer, I guess you were very vulnerable. Your ego actually was probably quite heavily diminished at that moment. And for you, would you say that's probably one of your most life-changing moments of your life?
1: It is, of course. It's a journey uh, that a dear family member who had gone through a similar experience, she had mentioned to me, this is going to be a gift. And at the end of the day, once you see this in the back, you will appreciate it as a gift. And the truth is, any challenge that makes us rethink our perspective, that makes us rethink who we are, Mm -hmm. and makes us uh, shed some of those layers, Mm -hmm. any challenge, regardless of if it's disease-driven, relationship-driven, or self-driven, they all are paths towards transformation. Mm -hmm. And that only reinforced... My own experience, you know, going through chemo, going through radiation, uh, being in environments where let's just say it's not a happy environment, but how can we improve those environments? How can we use simple elements such as the senses to elevate those spaces and empower people in those moments that they need it the most? And I would have never pivoted my career, my life in that direction if I hadn't gone through that experience myself.
0: Mm -hmm. Well thank you for sharing that that's really I mean and and I come to this conversation not knowing that that's what you were going to say to me so I feel really privileged that you shared that with us thank you and that brings me really nicely onto where we're now because you did pivot your whole career since I last saw you and you've been through a huge life transformation since then can you tell everyone where you are now because the term sensory wellness I think most people might not understand what that means so I'd love you to explain a little bit more about where you are now, because I know you went back to school, you went back to Harvard, and you retrained in neuroscience, and um, it brings us to where we are today.
1: Well, you know, it helps to understand neuroscience when you run a neuroscience company. (laughs) (laughs) That
0: is kind of the key thing, isn't it, really?
1: (laughs) I was really privileged to work with a vast network of experts and scientists of all different backgrounds, including Charles Spence, one of the leading multisensory scientists in the world and director of neuroscience at Oxford University. But once I understood what was going on under the hood, or at least to uh, have an idea, right, because nobody really knows, I noticed that we have such a great opportunity to use this untapped language that we call the senses, which is this code that humans as a species speak. And I'm not just speaking of sound, but talking about temperature, the way we sense temperature, the way we sense light and motion and vibration, all these things. How can we use these different types of stimuli? to help us overcome challenging moments. So at this point in my career, my research company, Aragami, evolved to really focusing on on multisensory design and how can we achieve behavioral outcomes through those multisensory interventions. Now, a big part of what we couldn't achieve maybe 10, five years ago, we couldn't capture data to be able to then uh, create a personalized environment. And the senses are personal, they are perceptual. And uh, so is wellness, so is well-being. It's personal, it's perceptual. Uh, your definition for it changes throughout the day, every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're in this moment where wellness needs to evolve, mm-hmm. and we're so proud to be part of that wave.
0: I love that. I have so many questions from the answer. To ask you, but before I go into the senses, and I really want to talk through the five senses, as you reference, it's not just the taste, the smell, we're going to go into what that actually is defined as in your eyes. But before I do, I'd love to touch upon this word wellness, because I think you and I have a very similar understanding around this term wellness. I think it can be quite faddy, quite a big marketing tool, and it seems that in this wellness boom, we all seem to be living these healthier lives, but actually more on well lives. Can you just give me your solution around this term? It,
1: it is tricky, right? And I think that it, we should never get tunnel vision around some of these umbrella terms, even mental health Yes. Um, or sustainability, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are just attempts for us to explain a category of things um, that's mostly driven by market facts. So, for example, I'm going to be speaking at the Global Wellness Summit in Israel in a few weeks, and you know they've done an incredible job quantifying the value of wellness in the market. So, when I hear the word wellness, I see it now as a market category mm-hmm. versus as an outcome. Yeah. Now, when we talk about well-being, I think we're starting to see healthcare environments stop using health and starting to use well-being. Uh, We're seeing workplace, no longer talking so much about mental health, and literally now talking about well-being as the outcome. Mm -hmm. Now, well-being is complex because we are complex. We are these incredible beings, these systems within systems that operate in this reality that's really translated by our senses. So for me, I really wanted to better understand how can we support people physiologically, psychologically, mm-hmm. socially, environmentally, financially? So well-being is multifaceted, many, many, many layers, and they change.
0: It's exactly the same perception, I think, that so many of us are starting to understand that it's really multifactorial, <laughs> multidimensional, and there isn't one philosophy for all. It's all so personalised to that human, and I think that's what I'm so interested to explore with you today on these senses. And just before we do, talking about this term and talking about you know, maybe we are living more unwell lives. maybe we are more living in excess moments of stress, more pressure, more sensory overload, more stimulus, 24-7 feeling that we have to be the best of ourselves in all areas, which can be emotionally exhausting... I'd love to just state a few facts here because you have mentioned to me in the past that you don't believe it's just down to a certain generation that's kind of caused this cascade of poorer mental health and poorer overall well-being that you do see it as more of a multi-generational approach that all of the different generations are, are impacting this and I thought maybe it's good to put in a few stats here from the Office of National Statistics about where we currently are with our health and I'd love to explore this with you so Generation X, which is people in the age group 40 to 50s, are dying in greater numbers from suicide and drug poisoning today. Sandwich careers, and for someone who doesn't understand what that is, it's the people that are also looking after elderly relatives, sick or dependent children, so they have many different layers that are also work layers, as well as their day jobs, are more likely to experience symptoms of mental ill health, which can include anxiety and depression. And suicide was the leading cause of death for males and females aged between 25 to 34 in 2019. These are the few stats from the Office of National Statistics, which I find quite prominent that, again, we're going through different age groups there on all different areas of mental health. For you and your work, how can we start helping such a broad range of these mental health conditions?
1: So, you know, we had to evolve from awareness Beyond awareness. So that's step number one. Go beyond awareness. And let's start tackling some of these diseases of despair. Mm -hmm. This is a human issue. It's a global issue. And similar to the climate crisis, this is a meaning crisis. And right now we're having uh, different parameters of society shift, exponentially change. And while Moore's law is on full mode we almost need like a Moore's law for humans, right? We're living in a massively accelerated world in this hyperphysical and overstimulated world where we travel faster than we can think, where Mm -hmm. we compute things faster than what we can emotionally handle. And we're stuck in between. So for me, it's about how do we reduce the gap between this accelerated world and our primitive brain?
0: So interesting to hear that from a neuroscientist's point of view, because I am always thinking, how can our brains take even more information in? Because it seems day by day, and I'm going to talk through this with you later about the Web3 movement and you know more going into AI and just more stimulus and more sensors. How can our brains compute with this ever-evolving range of tools that are coming at us and more demands in our daily lives without being affected in our mental health? And that's something that you know I know we're going to explore today. So before we do, let's start with really exploring these five senses. Could you talk to us about these areas, such as temperature, such as the receptors in our body, that really help give us a physical and emotional effect?
1: So everything we experience begins with a signal. We process over 11 million signals a second. And these signals are captured by different receptors in our bodies. And this is what we translate as sensory information. Now, these signals can be uh, based on light, and that's what affects our vision. These signals can be chemical, and that's what affects our olfactory, our smell and our taste. But they can also be motion, vibration, which is when we get into sound. Ultimately, uh, when we look at the senses and we look at how the brain works, the brain uses these signals to provide context. In other words, to use it almost as a key search word and look for other elements, whether they're physical, whether they're psychological, to then activate and tell your command center, feel this way, act this way, think this way. We have a predictive brain. And these structures that we're not necessarily born with, but that are built through our environment, that's what provides context. That's what provides meaning. So when we have a memory, When we feel an emotion, it's actually encoded sensory information. That's why you feel it. That's why you go there. That's why you don't necessarily walk into that moment, but you start getting these little flashbacks. So think for a second, like your favorite meal. This is what I was just thinking in my
0: mind. I'm kind of going back to my mum's... Actually, my mum, that's a lie. My grandmother's (laughs) cooking. My mum's not a very good cook. Sorry, mum, if you're listening. But um, my grandmother, and when she used to make us roast dinners on a Sunday and nothing tasted as good as her roast dinner.
1: Now, can you go in your mind, where were you in one of those moments when she was making that roast?
0: At her house. Which room? In her dining room.
1: Can you recall one time what she was wearing?
0: Yes, I can. She's wearing a pinstripe blue dress.
1: This is the incredible power of the senses. It's a language that, again, once we tap into it and understand it, and through different kind of conditions that we've explored, uh, how the senses work, including Alzheimer's, including autism, they've helped unlock this whole Pandora's box with the senses because not only did you just recall that memory through voice, but you were able to pick up sensory information from smell to taste because you even salivated there a moment, you tasted it. Uh, You were able to pick up (laughs) what, what she was wearing, where she was. So when we activate one sense, and we can, let's say, trigger a memory, all the other senses involved in that memory will be also activated. So now let's take these recipes, this sensory crosstalk, if you will, and how do we create sensory reset experiences that empower people? And for the past two years, that's what we've been doing at our company, My Cocoon, which is our agency, if you will, where we help brands, products, and places create sensory reset environments to reduce this hyper-acceleration, de-escalate, how we feel so anxious and stressed all the time, but with context to the person.
0: Gosh, okay. I wanna come on to sensory resets, but just before I do, you touched upon some of the amazing research there. And I'd love to just highlight what this is because you mentioned to me a study earlier this week around dentistry and the patients where they've used specific sensory wellness techniques such as light, that has actually helped reduce the amount of painkiller use after the patient had the surgery and also their anxiety around it. Can you talk to me about just some of the research that's been conducted in this area around sensorials for the impact that it can really have on one's mental health and well-being?
1: So pain is a sense too, just like hunger, just like thirst. So there's other senses beyond the five main organ senses that we talk about. And specifically with uh, dentistry, we've been working with Dr. Miguel Stanley from the White Clinic, considered one of the top 100 dentists in the world, based in Lisbon, And we've been working with our award-winning wellness lighting, my cocoon non-flicker colored light. And by giving people a test, a simple intuitive test, no words, just selecting what color they're feeling in that moment. And enabling patients to slightly change the environment through lighting and the color temperature of the light. We've seen a drastic reduction in pain we've seen a drastic reduction in pain medication intake. Considering the opioid crisis we were talking about before this podcast began, considering the situation with diseases of despair, considering the epidemic that mental health or mental illness is today, we need to explore additional alternative routes to take over our brain, to reframe our brain, to reframe how we react. So, when we talk about sensory resets and when we talk about how to create these kinds of experiences, whether it's in a dentistry office to reduce pain or inside a, a retail store to reduce buyer's remorse, you know, we're using the senses to build upon existing experiences and memories that you already have versus. Bombarding you with additional experiences that, to be honest, you're not going to remember, you're not going to keep, because it has no meaning to you. We want to help people grow and change. Mm -hmm. And if light can alleviate your pain perception, or if a combination of light and sound, which is what we focus on most at My Cocoon, can alleviate some of that blockage, that emotional blockage we have, or some of that negative chatter we get, then we're really talking about how do we use these different implicit tools to empower these environments, but again, delivered in a personalized manner. Mm. And by us using color, we're able to trigger a very elemental part, a very primary part, in our visual processing. So before we start thinking about shapes or distance or even understanding the direction the sound's coming from, we first interpret color. So we wanted to use non-contextual color, abstract color, that changes, that takes your mind away completely. And suddenly you see magenta. And I don't know, Sarah, what comes to your mind when I say magenta or when you see magenta?
0: I don't actually know. I feel like I'm really put on the spot. What comes to my mind when I see magenta? Can I not have an answer?
1: Well, just what happened right now already proves the point. So your brain just started collecting information.
0: It's starting to try and like piece together what it looks like.
1: And when you're actually exposed to the light, you actually have a physiological reaction, not just a psychological one. So your light cells or light-sensitive photons in every single cell of your body start reacting to that light. Now, ultimately, it's about your psychology. So if you start thinking about other memories, other thoughts, other things, we're starting to break the pattern of what you were thinking before. Mm -hmm. And these are the kind of micro-interventions that we need currently today at the workplace, in hospitality, uh, in healthcare, name it
0: to tell you about my secret weapon that has become my saviour in recent months. All plants deliver delicious, healthy, plant-based chef-made meals to your door which are ready to heat and eat when you need them. Their dishes contain at least two of your five a day and some even four of your five a day. My personal favourite is the miso and tamari tofu bowl, which also won a great taste award this year. All Plants are also Europe's largest plant-based kitchen, which isn't a surprise when you see their fantastic variety of meals. Head to allplants.com to order and subscribe for your first order, and you can save a whopping 25% off when using the code L-W-B-W. All plants save me time and have been a huge saviour in making sure I stay healthy even when busy. And I hope they can for you too. Make sure you use the code L-W-B-W for 25% off. So there's two really big questions here. Now, do you remember that viral dress the gold and the blue dress, that everyone was seeing two different colours and lots of couples were getting in arguments about it and it was on every single Instagram thread I could see. It was in newspapers and you couldn't figure out if it was gold or if it was blue, I think it was, the Correct. other one, gold and blue. I think I saw gold. I know our producers saw both, gold and blue. But what, I mean, two things come to mind. Why does that happen if that's, if that's your sensory perception are you psychologically wired... In that way that you're perceiving it and what happens if you're colorblind because i'm kind of thinking here two distinguished angles can you still have the sensory wellness effects if you are colorblind and how does that work why were people seeing these two different types of colors on this gold or blue dress and was it gold or was it blue (laughs) it was both was it
1: yes
0: (laughs) looking at our producer but but here's the thing
1: Here's the thing, it was both, because everyone's right. It can be whatever you saw it as. So that's the reality you perceived, but that's the reality like, you accepted. I like
0: accept our Jesus, she like this extra special person because she could see both. Why well,
1: let's talk about that a little bit, because colour is an interesting topic. Colour is a computation in our brain, so it doesn't happen outside of our bodies. It okay. happens inside of our bodies. So when we see light, we have different light receptors inside our eye. These are called cones and rods. And some of us have more than others. In particular, about 12 to 15% of women are what we call tetrachromats. And I believe your lovely producer, Roxy, that's what she is. And she sees colors in between colors. Now, that doesn't change the color that you saw because it's what you perceived. So what's interesting, going back to the senses, going back to color, going back to sensory perception, perception's reality. Our brain does the best job it can to predict the reality we're in. But it's not always correct. And that's what's exciting about some of the research and incredible work being done by Professor Stephen Westland at the University of Leeds Color Science Lab, where specifically him and his students are exploring well-being, are exploring light, are exploring color, and uh, different ways it affects different people. Now, when we did the um, research study with dentistry, uh, with the White Clinic, It wasn't about blue being calming for everyone. It was about everyone identifying or each person identifying what color was calming to them. That's the trick with the colors.
0: How do you identify that, though? How would I know what color makes me calm?
1: You're drawn to it. Really? Yeah, you're just drawn to it. Now, obviously, now we can add biometrics and other biocapture devices to measure some of your responses to these signals, but ultimately your body kind of already knows these things subconsciously. What we're trying to do is really bridge, again, the gap between the conscious and the subconscious. When you mentioned earlier about you know uh, the acceleration we're living in, it's not so much that our brain can't handle it, our brain can handle much more. Again, it was 11 million signals a second. It can handle a lot. Now, in this entire time that we've been talking, Every single person, including yourself and and your audience, you've been breathing. Mm -hmm. But it was just now that I brought it to your awareness that you're thinking about your breathing. Mm -hmm. So if you were aware of your breathing the entire time we were talking, it would be very difficult to have this level of conversation. Mm -hmm. So our brain is designed to kind of give us the energy and attention and focus where we need it and where we put it. And currently, we are all living in this flight or fight response mode. And a lot of it is because, again, we're not de-escalating. So for us, it's not really about how to achieve a certain outcome all the way. It's really about how to use these tools, these sensory tools, to empower you to slow down a little bit.
0: Okay, so say I've listened to this podcast and I'm like, I am so engrossed in the senses that I never knew that I had how can i go and implement that into my life how can i figure out what is going to calm me in my sensory vision in temperature vision in motion vision how can i go on that journey myself which i definitely want to do after this conversation because for me things that relax me are things like baths is things like being in nature feeling you know the wind even Actually, it's raining as we're talking, but even being outside in, in the rain, having some kind of grounding experience, I feel grounds me quite heavily. Having it might be an English habitual thing, but having a cup of tea or having something where I'm taking a moment and feeling a hot liquid into my system calms me down. But these are all things I think that we're all quite used to. But how can we enhance that into what you're talking about with the colours? How can we understand what we're drawn to? Trying to figure out how someone can take this into their daily lives.
1: So we've created an award-winning technology that was just rated a top seven creative tech by Forbes Japan. Our application called Brainbow. So you can download it on Apple or Android. And basically there we you can start creating this log, this sensory log, if you will. And the more you participate and take part in these five-minute micro-sensory interventions, the more you start understanding your relationship with color. So it's all about data. And it's data with meaning and data also with consideration for privacy. So suddenly you're no longer just a person to us, you're a color to us. And you're this evolving color to us. So we look at that and cross-reference it across almost 300 data points, looking at time of day, looking at where you're at, looking at the kind of activity that you set out to do. Eventually, we can use sensory information to anchor our mind and to help us shift. Mm -hmm. And it's all about sensory shifts. So whenever you think that you are stuck, like Creative Lock, wonderful tool, to start thinking about what does magenta mean to you. And suddenly you're starting to connect things. And especially when it comes to creativity, it's hard to define creativity, but it's really connecting new ideas. Mm -hmm. It's new synapses in your brain, connecting these different tidbits of information that you've already received. So one of the easiest ways, again, to apply sensory wellness to your life is to take into account those sensory elements that are found in those experience you talked about. So you mentioned being in nature. Those are elements that you don't necessarily need to recreate, but you already have a predisposition towards behaving or feeling better around the sounds of nature, for example, versus some scientists that I know or surgeons that I know that listen to heavy metal before they operate right and you go how can they do that well it's because it's what works for them so up to this point with wellness 1.0 mm-hmm. and now getting into wellness 2 and maybe 3.0 with web 3 and uh, tools like such as those
0: we're going to come onto that
1: we have this unique opportunity to evolve the way we communicate wellness mm-hmm. but the way we measure wellness mm-hmm. right now uh, an interesting stat is uh, from a lot of the clients that we work with we see that the adoption rate of wellness activities, experiences, events, it kind of plateaus at 25, 28%. And there's an issue with that because there's a whole lot of people that are seeking, willing, and able to participate, but it's not being positioned in a way that it's friendly to them. And I think that's what's really important about bringing more diverse and neurodivergent people into the conversation, because it's going to expand our definitions for well-being, which is what we need to continue doing. I think we've made a great effort with that 25, 28 percent, but now we need to continue. And this is going to be done through different methods. So I'm really excited to see things like wellness music continue to evolve. And beyond yoga music, I'm starting to see hip hop and urban music become more wellness. I'm starting to see EDM music or electronic music. So that's exciting.
0: So I'd love to give you a case scenario, because I'd love to know how you actually equipped yourself when you feel off balance. Because as you just said, with the adaption rates of up to 25% of people engaging in these wellness techniques, you know, and I really do agree with you that, you know, we really need to work harder on actually how can we break down those barriers and reach more people with these concepts. But for you, for someone who's flying a lot, who is running not just one company, but up to three companies, I want to say, I think I remember you telling me earlier, which is just so so fascinating that you're doing all of this and having time to squeeze in this podcast and doing events in the evening you must have times when you yourself feel off balance how do you reset yourself in those moments what tools do you use in those moments to kind of help yourself feel more connected to my favorite word that you used earlier your inner verse
1: so let's let's go into that inner verse you know i'm currently writing a book about reframing your brain
0: So now you're doing four things. Yes.
1: (laughs) But you know what? We all do a lot of things. Yeah. We're all busy. It may be different kinds of things, but we we all live that same kind of life. Mm -hmm. But specifically for me, you know, one, yes, I do have that negative inner chatter sometimes. I do feel not good enough sometimes. I I, I do get scared and fearful. It's okay to feel out of balance. Mm -hmm. So the first part is uh, being aware that, Not feeling okay sometimes, that's okay. That's part of the human experience. So, you know, wanting to heal every single moment doesn't necessarily work in my book. It's more about taking ownership of what is happening in that moment and separating what is not happening in that moment. And this is really the difference between stress and anxiety. You know, we are built to experience stress but we are not designed to experience anxiety. So when I say that, think of stress as this, a lion chasing you, like in physical real life. There's no inverse needed for that one. It's like, run. But when you're just thinking about that lion chasing you, that's anxiety. That's all constructed and archetyped inside your brain. So the first thing that I do is, again, separate What is happening in this moment? I got here a little bit late, right? So I was a bit stressed because I was actually late. Now, if I would still be thinking about it, I would be feeding into my anxieties. So number one thing is how does one shift their perception in those moments where the sensory information that we're processing is telling us to feel a way we don't want to feel? So, when your emotions take over you, it's important to acknowledge, okay, I'm feeling this rush. I am late, but I've made it, and what I'm feeling right now isn't just me being late to this session. It's every other time I've been late, any other time in my life. That's what my brain is literally experiencing. Suddenly, I'm not that stressed. It literally is that simple. Now... That simplicity is quite complex for a lot of people who may need tools to slow down and bring that awareness. Meditation is one of those tools. It's not the only tool. So now we're starting to use sound. We're starting to use color and light. We're starting to use haptics. We're starting to use other ways to help people de-escalate in those moments just by tapping in some different kind of stimuli just to change your mind. Now, we've seen this a lot in the wellness industry as an attempt to escape. What we're looking to do and what we do at My Cocoon, for example, with our sensory resets, is help you escape inwards, not outwards. We don't want you to go to some fantasy land. We want you to go into you and try and overcome some of these deeper constructs foundational challenges that we have in our thinking so it's all about reframing our state of mind sensory perception it's built in right so sensory mm-hmm. perception mm-hmm. perceptions. what we're trying to change sensory works that way it's the key it's the operating system to how we think
0: so let's take that amazing example of what you just said with the anxiety and the stress and one way that I, I feel like I've actually tried to interpret that in my life is changing the lights in my bedroom from these strong halogen lights to these more calming lights. And I can't tell you the physics behind that, but they are meant to actually create a more calming sensory experience for you because light has a massive impact on how you sleep. Now, I know you've worked a lot in this area with sensory wellness, with chronotypes. And circadian rhythms. And I'd love to explore this more because I think you did these amazing art installations at the Times Festival recently, which I was gutted not to come to. But this allowed people to actually figure out which chronotype they are. Now, before we get into understanding this, first of all, could you just tell everybody what is a chronotype and why is it important for our overall mental health? optimal well-being and then how have you created this own sensory perception sculpture that allows us to be more drawn to which chronotype we may be
1: so chronotypes refers to our genetic predisposition towards which time of day we wake up best at which time of day is our most productive time it's basically a, a code That's embedded in our DNA, specifically our PR3 gene. And it dictates our wake-sleep cycle. And that wake-sleep cycle dictates our energy patterns throughout the day, throughout our lives. Now, this is not just humans. This is every living being on Earth. And the relationship we have with light is mostly with our sun. So we follow these patterns, these natural patterns that we call a 24-hour cycle from the perception we have. Now, we wanted to go deeper into that, and different researchers have highlighted animals that symbolize these chronotypes, such as bears, such as wolves, dolphins, etc.
0: Larks, owl.
1: Owl, night owl. And a lot of times, you know, you'll find uh, some of these common phrases that are used uh, to highlight them, but we wanted to explore it a little bit deeper and more abstract. We wanted to explore uh, and connect different wavelengths that happen with the sun at different times of the day. And we basically created four different sun sculptures, uh, a sunrise, a uh, midday sun, afternoon sun, and sunset. We worked with teams recreating some of the wavelengths that are experienced during those times of day. Uh, in terms of light and color. And then we had some really a lot of fun with uh, some of our collaborators, including Ricardo Tuiz, um, who's an incredible composer and music producer, uh, is working right now on Avatar 2. And I basically went to him and some friends at MIT Media Lab and said, let's create circadian music. Let's uh, take the protein expressions of these genes, translate them to sound and music, and basically our, the whole presentation was that not only were you attracted to specific colors, let's say if you were a morning person, your colors were more orange, yellow, and green. Maybe Roxy saw a little bit of blue because of <laughs> her extra uh, vision abilities, but you could also hear this sound that was created from your genes. And what we noticed was that people, without even knowing which chronotype they were, they would land in the right one. So it was almost like this magnetic attraction, if you will, the subconscious attraction to this combination of colors and combination of sounds together. Now, this is just one way of many that we help people engage with science, engage with technology, but ultimately become the experience themselves. I think the future is not so much about experience building or store building Uh, it's about mind building and that's when you are the conduit of the experience itself you always were it was just us as designers you know we didn't put you in the driver's seat but now you know we're able to do that and some technologies such as augmented reality and projection mapping are also allowing us uh, or giving us the ability to customize what you perceive in these experiences
0: hey wow in what way
1: Well, we're able to capture how people, different people react. And again, as we empower you with sensory data, uh, we're heading towards a future where we'll have sensory profiles and how amazing to be able to bank and archive your sensory preferences and be able to take them from environment to environment.
0: Our next partner is a trusted and highly concentrated Omega-3 brand, Minami. Did you know that it's important to consider an omega-3 supplement if you do not consume one to two portions of oily fish a week? Because omega-3s contribute to a normal brain function, a healthy heart, and vision. So lucky for you guys, Minami is a brand I wholeheartedly recommend for the whole family as they stand out from the rest. They are the omega-3 experts. Minami is one of the highest concentrated and a pure omega-3 brands available in the market. So you get more omega-3 nutrition per soft gel, which means fewer capsules to swallow. They have a high concentration of 90 to 95% of omega-3 per capsule. They are free from solvents and fillers, and they have a low environmental impact, sourcing sustainable fish from unpopulated water of the South Pacific. I'm a huge believer in the importance of omega-3 for our health. So you can find Minami products online at www.revital.co.uk. Thank you very much, Minami. I just find those four installations fascinating. I didn't want to interrupt you, but how do you take a DNA gene and transcribe that into sound and light? How? Talk me through that.
1: So thankfully, much smarter people than I uh, were were part of that. So since the 70s, we've been encoding uh, information through sound. This is the whole field of data sonification. A lot of space work, you know, uh, especially some of the projects that I do with NASA and some of the uh, art and science organizations that I form part of, uh, such as SciArt Exchange, you know, we take massive amounts of data, add musical attributes or values to that data. And then now through spatial sound technologies, you can experience data through sound in a different way. So we took some of the incredible work that was really pioneered mostly at MIT Media Lab as early as the 80s and 90s, looking at data sonification And uh, when the human genome was mapped, that was one of the fun creative projects that came out of MIT Media Lab. So we just wanted to take it to the next level and say, okay. since we already have the systems and frameworks to translate genes into music, can we look at specific genes and can we use those almost in a therapeutic, experiential kind of way? And that's what we did with circadian gene.
0: And so do you see this transcribing into Web3? Of course. And Before we even go into that, I feel like I should actually... Can you explain what Web3 is to everybody who's listening?
1: Well, it's think... Yeah, Yeah, I think think of Web2 as a reference for what we have today, is on a screen. It's on a surface. Web3, it's gonna be something you can walk into. So I look at very simple definition for Web3 and it's spatial internet. So it's an internet you can walk into. In other words, virtual or digital environments. Now, we're going to carry over all of our problems from this reality into this, one.
0: <laughs> into
1: these other alternative perceived experience realities. And that is why it's important to start having the conversation about well-being, about mental health support in virtual and digital environments today so that we're not retrofitting wellness and well-being and mental health into these environments later. And a great example is Facebook. Mind you, now meta company, but I'm talking about the platform. I respect what they do, and I'm glad that they have created certain technologies. But ultimately, a lot of the issues that have been experienced by social media platforms could have been avoided, because we could have predicted those would have happened. We're in that position right now, as we start designing these new types of hyperphysical experiences that teases our brain to think it's another reality, but physically we're in this one, we're gonna see a whole lot of new challenges, a lot of challenges, a lot of diseases, including reality dysmorphia, if you will. So we need to embed these kind of values wherever we go. And I think that is the greatest thing that we can do with technology technology isn't just what we plug into a wall. Technology is any tool that extends our abilities as humans. So for me, I'm not afraid of technology because we are technology. And I think it'll be interesting now with sensory design and sensory enrichment of these virtual environments because it'll feel real. And it's going to really uh, put us in an interesting situation where we have to rethink or redefine what is real, what is reality. And I believe it's sensory perception. Sensory perception identifies our reality. Mm -hmm. And right now we are so driven by self, by consumption, by ego, that we can use some of these opportunities, some of these technologies, as a moment to self-reflect, as a moment to grow, as a moment to exercise our emotional intelligence. We're not talking yet too much about that in the metaverse, Mm -hmm. but we're starting to, and we're starting to see incredible organizations, such as one that I advise for in Canada, Blossom, great platform enabling wellness providers to make money in the metaverse to create wellness experiences and coaching opportunities virtually. And that's the kind of change that I'm all down for.
0: Do you see things such as Web3 or when we're escaping into this digital reality more, harming our mental health? Because I think what we have seen, especially through something like Facebook or, or Metaverse, Instagram, social media... TikTok we've started to really detach from our communities and I know in the beginning you said one of the most important things you've learned in the last 10 years is a sense of community and for me I just feel like even in my lifetime I've seen such a big detachment of communities because of the digital interactions we're having. And it's not to demonize them at all, because there's also so many positives that are come out of that. You can speak to people halfway across the world and stay in contact with them. You can FaceTime them, you can still feel connected. But I do still see a huge spike in poor mental health because of these digital realities. Like, what's your take on that?
1: So, you know, I go deeper, uh, because I, I think uh, one thing is to put everything under the category of digital realities and assume or contribute uh, disease of despair that we're suffering from today at exponential rates to those. But I don't quite see it that way. I look at what's happening in the brain. And uh, a great book for reference is Dopamine Nation. So, you know, we're, we're rewiring our brain, which is why I want to help us reframe it.
0: That's when we get a message and we get that dopamine hit, isn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's ultimately more about the notifications the constant notifications, and altering what we call our dopamine threshold. So dopamine, for those out there who may not know, this is a neurotransmitter, it's a chemical, released inside our brain, created inside our amygdala, as a response to sensory stimuli. Now, it controls our attention, our focus, it influences behaviors such as addiction, So we're tapping into the addictive part of our brain to build these godlike technologies. Again, back to our primitive brain. So, you know, I'm looking at how do we catch up, going back to the Moore's Law for Humans. I'm more interested in what role do we play and can we play to optimize ourselves in these environments versus these environments optimize themselves. And I think that's the unique opportunity that we have to evolve this perfection seeking from wellness and just being the best version of who we can be in that moment, that's great. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I personally practice every day. I do that one day, a week, a month, a year, And I can tell you for the last five years, I've been living the best version of myself every single moment.
0: Can you talk me through some of these practices for you personally?
1: Number one is framing your day. As I'll share and expand a little bit more once my book's done, it's all about reframing your perception. So in the morning, we are born with some kind of perception already. We rise and we're like, oh, okay, I feel this about. Today, tell your story. Take over the driver's seat of what your mind is thinking Mm -hmm. and guide it. Don't force it, but guide it. So, I I, I have these inner chatters, just like what we all experience, and I basically don't give it the authority to make me feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And literally, that is the greatest advice. That I've been given by people that aren't just successful in what we look at success through the lens of business or financial, but are actually happy, fulfilled, and meaningful people who live meaningful lives. For me, it's always about rekindling, reminding myself, what is my purpose? And it's okay for your purpose to change, to evolve, but it's important to check in with that purpose each and every day. I do that in the morning. I am a early, early riser. I love waking up very early. So for me, it's that peace and quiet before the world wakes up, if you will, or at least the world around me, That empowers my productivity, my creative thinking, my analytical thinking as well. Everyone is different. We all use music as well to kind of help and train. So it's things we're already doing. We're just now bringing awareness to how can we optimize these things and make it, I shouldn't say even better, but make it more contextual for us so that it works better for each person
0: and so this is my final question which I think relates so nicely to what you've just mentioned to your daily practices and the reframing of the thoughts and creating that toolkit for you daily for a check-in which I think is really important like how often do we check in with oneself for what's important for ourselves where are we in that moment and how present are we in that moment but what does live well be well Ari mean to you
1: It means being your most authentic self without the layers of fear that typically drive and shape who we are. For me, it's been a journey of losing myself, literally, physically, to be able to find and to connect with something greater than just me. And I think identity, is this double-edged sword because I don't exist without you. You don't exist without me. But at the same time, we don't exist without each other. And I think that's where we need to aim for in society. To live well, to be well, is community. It's to be one. And that's why we need to heal. It's so that we can remove these layers of self and no longer put it through that lens. And when we see life through a greater lens beyond our senses, Mm -hmm. that's when you tap into something that is very difficult for people to describe, but you feel it. You feel it when somebody you care for embraces you. It's that, you can't describe these things, but you feel it. You can connect to it. And from a neuroscientific angle, We have neurons dedicated to this. They're mirror neurons. So there's a particular part of our brain craving connection. And I think today we have an interesting moment where so many things are changing, where so many definitions are blurring, where so many different types of people are now thankfully part of the conversation But that means we also live in a fragmented world, hyper-fragmented world. So for me, living well and being well is being the best version of humans that we can be. Our personality is pretty much fixed. Our physiology for now, for now, is pretty much fixed. So what we have as a muscle that we can exercise and strengthen is our emotional intelligence. In other words, how we react And that is how I live well and become well. It's by becoming less reactive.
0: We could do a whole podcast on emotional resilience. I find it so fascinating. And I think the more you experience, such as you, the more awareness starts to shed on on this emotional resilience. And it's been so fascinating just to, one, hear your story through this. I cannot wait to have your book out. Can I ask when that might be?
1: Early 2023.
0: Okay. So we've got a little, not too much longer to wait. We'll see. <laughs> okay. But in the meantime, where can people find out about you? Could you share your websites, your handles? Because I know that, you know, an hour does not seem enough to have a conversation with you. I felt like we could speak for hours and hours. So we'll definitely have to get you back on when your book is out. But where can people find out more in the meantime?
1: You can go to My Cocoon. Dot com And we'll share the link um, on the podcast info. Mm-hmm. Um, but there you can find the different types of sensory reset experiences that we've created for brands, products, and places. And look into different ways that we've used the senses anchored by color to be able to tap into that inner verse and change the course of that narration that you were used to. Now, as far as research, you can always go to origami.co.uk. That's my research company, our research company. So basically, we have these three companies that are sisters and and work together. But there you'll find the latest in sensory research, sensory research applications, and recently even on um, sensory wellness uh, in metaverse and uh, other types of environments. Ultimately, I would love to recommend a few books for additional reading uh, and just as an additional resource. Charles Spence, again, an incredible lead neuroscientist at the University of Oxford, wrote a great book called Sense Hacking. And it's great for anyone really looking to understand how they can use the senses to unlock their brain. And John Russell wrote another one, a great one called, uh, I believe, Sense or Senses. Uh, But again, there's a lot of literature out there on how each individual sense can contribute towards a lighter and brighter mind. Now what we're understanding, since people are different, and since this is all perceptual and personal, there's a code for everyone. Mm. So we can't wait to uh, continue to empower people with technologies designed to make them better.
0: I love that you say how individual it is because the whole concept of this podcast live well be well is around people finding their own health through different inspiring conversations and research because there isn't one magic bullet that fits all but all so uniquely different and so listening to such a breadth of knowledge from different conversations we really hope and want to inspire people to take nuggets that they feel more drawn to to help them improve their life overall so it's just amazing to hear that you're Shouting from the same fields as well on, on that uniqueness to each individual.
1: And thank you for all you do. I mean, <laughs> since we've met, I've seen you crusade with this topic. I wouldn't even say of wellness, of empowerment, because mm-hmm. it's really about not just bringing awareness, but tools. And I think creating a space for sensory tools to join the conversation is something that we're seeing happen currently in every sector today, Mm. from healthcare to retail to workplace, name it. So thank you for this opportunity.
0: Thank you, Ari. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please can I ask one huge favour if you could subscribe, share and rate this podcast it would mean an immense amount to me and all the fantastic guests who come on to share their expertise and knowledge with us. It will keep this podcast growing and it will allow us to continue making episodes. Until next week I hope you all live well and be well.